All right, well, we're there in Genesis chapter number 20, and in our evening services, what we normally do at Verity Baptist Church is we take a book or a passage of Scripture and move through it systematically, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, just kind of picking up what we can learn from the Word of God. Tonight, we find ourselves in Genesis chapter 20 as we've been studying the lives of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the patriarchs that kind of started this whole movement of Christianity, and I'll be honest with you, tonight, uh, I don't have... An outline, usually when I preach, I have some sort of an outline, and we're not, we're not going to do that tonight. We're just going to go through the verses, and we'll kind of just make statements as we go along and pick up truths as we go along. Look at verse number 1. The Bible says, And Abraham journeyed from thence toward the south country and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur, and sojourned in Gerar. So Abraham's moving, and he's moving down, and he finds himself... Uh, in this place called Gerar, which is where the Philistines, you, you remember the Philistines from the book of Judges or from the book of First Samuel, would dwell. And the Bible says in verse 2, And Abraham said of Sarah's wife, She is my sister. So Abraham lies. And now here's what I want you to understand. This is not the first time Abraham has lied, and this is not the first time Abraham has lied about this specific thing. In fact, this sin is something that Abraham has done before. Here, he gets to Gerar, and he says of, of Sarah, his wife, he says, she, he doesn't t- tell them, I'm married to her. He just says, she's my sister. But Abraham, if you remember, has done this before. Keep your place there in chapter 20, and go back to chapter 12 of the book of Genesis, and I'll refresh your memory if you don't remember. When Abraham went down to Egypt, he did the same thing. Genesis chapter 12 and verse number 11. Notice what the Bible says. Genesis 12, 11. And it came to pass when he, that's Abraham, was come near to enter into Egypt, that he said unto Sarah his wife, Behold now, I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Therefore it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see thee, that they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will save thee alive. Now right there you can already see where the emphasis of Abraham is. He says, they're gonna, You're going to be fine. It's going to be me that they're going to kill. You know, you're, you're going to be okay. It's going to be me that they're going to, that they're going to uh, rough up. Look at verse 13. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well with me. For thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. So he agreed with her already. And Egypt and Gerar might not have been the only places he did this, where he basically said, when we enter into a kingdom, you know, let's just lie and say we're not, you know, let's not tell people we're husband and wife. Just tell people that I'm your brother. Tell people that you're my sister, and that way they won't kill me. Uh, to, to, to get, uh, to be able to have you as a wife. And you know, what we can learn from this is this, that we often struggle with the same sins. You know, Abraham had what the Bible refers to as a besetting sin. You don't have to turn there, but in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, the Bible says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. He said, let us lay aside the sin. And if you, you notice uh, that as you, as you pastor, you know, as I've pastored people for six years now, I've dealt with a lot of people, a lot of lives, and you'll notice that it's usually one or two sins that anyone, I mean, all of us sin, of course, all of us sin you know, every day, you know, we, we sin. But usually it's that one sin, you know. There's that one sin. You find people and it's like their one sin is complaining. They just can't stop complaining. All they do is complain. Or their one sin is lying. They just can't quit lying. Or their one sin is alcohol. Or their one sin is pornography. Or their one sin is drugs. Or their one thing. And you'll watch people and for 20 years, 30 years, they're just struggling with the same sin. 
They're just dealing. And here we see Abraham years and years later. I mean, you think, Abraham, haven't you grown? Abraham, haven't you matured? I mean, I, I hope that when I'm 60 years old, I'm living a little different than when I'm 30 years old. Yet Abraham here is struggling with the same thing. And what is it? It's trusting God. It's interesting that Abraham was the father of faith, which faith means to trust. Yet his big sin that he struggled with was trusting God. His big sin that he struggled with was uh, allowing God to protect him, and he would often take matters into his own hands and even lie in order to do what he thought that God could not do for him. And, you know, you and I will often struggle with the same sins. Look at verse 2. Notice what the Bible says. And Abraham said to Sarah's wife, she is my sister. And notice what happens. This wasn't part of the plan. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. So they show up, and, and they said, are you two married? And they said, no, 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 we're not married. That's my sister. And King Gerar's like, oh, really? She's your sister. Oh, she's single? And he takes her, and he's going to, you know, try to marry her. And here's, here's the thing. Whenever you and I take matters into our own hands, we often just make things worse. Because, you know, I'm sure the plan was for Abraham to go into town. Is this your wife? No, that's my sister. Okay, great. Come on in. I'm sure he wasn't planning, he wasn't thinking, they're going to take my wife away from me, they're going to try to marry her off to the king of the land, but yet that's what happened. And here's the thing, Abraham ended up making things worse by trying to take matters into his own hands, by trying to lie and trying to manipulate and trying to make things happen, when what he should have done is just said, here's the truth, this is my wife, we're trusting in God to take care of us. And you know, often it's easy for you and I to deceive. It's easy for you and I to lie. It's easy for you and I to try to take matters and say, well, I'm just going to make this work because I just don't think God's going to come through in this area. But you know what? We ought to just trust the Lord. And we ought to just have faith in the Lord. And we ought to remember that often what we do when we take matters into our own hands is we just make things worse. And usually things we don't expect happen. Usually results that we say, well, I didn't see that coming. Uh, go, go to the book of Proverbs. Keep your place there in Genesis. That's the text for tonight. But go to the book of Proverbs. If you can find the book of Psalms, which is right in the center of your Bible. Right, if you open your Bible, which is right in the center, you're more, more than likely following the book of, of, of Psalms. The very next book, book is Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 3. You've seen these verses before, but let's look at them together. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5 says this. Trust in the Lord. Trust is faith. When I place my faith in Jesus Christ, I'm putting my trust in Him. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Notice what he says, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. Notice verse 7, be not wise in thine own eyes, fear the Lord, and depart from evil. See, here's the thing, God wants us to be proactive in taking care of our situation. You know, when it comes to protecting your wife, God wants you to be proactive, husbands, in doing that. When it comes to taking care of your children, God wants you to be proactive in doing that. There's nothing wrong with that. God wants to be proactive when it comes to your finances. God wants you to be proactive when it comes to your uh, relationships, whatever it is. There's nothing wrong with Abraham saying, I got to step in and I got to do something here. What's wrong is when you lose your faith in God. You say, well, how do I know when I get to that place? Here's how you know when you begin to sin to do so. When you have to lie to make it happen. See, there's nothing wrong with, with, uh, with, with, with saying, well, I, what are we going to do here to protect Sarah? What are we going to do here to provide for my family? But as soon as you step into the realm, I've got to lie. I have to deceive. I have to sin against God. I have to go against something God told me to do. At that point, you've lost your faith. You've lost your trust in God. And you've become wise in your own eyes. And you've decided, I've got to take care of X, Y, and Z because God won't. And you're going to mess it up. You're going to make things worse. 
At work, it's better for you to just say, here's the truth. Here's what happened. I will not lie about it. Let me trust in the Lord. And here, Abraham is trusting in himself. He's being wise in his own eyes. You're there in Proverbs 3. Go to Proverbs 16. Look at verse 25. Proverbs 16, verse 25. And make sure you keep your place in Proverbs. Keep, put a bookmark or a ribbon or something in Proverbs. We're going to leave it, and we're going to come back to it. Proverbs 16 and verse number 25 Proverbs 16 and verse 25, the Bible says this, There is a way that seemeth. You see that word seemeth? There's a way that looks like. There's a way that seemeth right unto a man. But the end thereof are the ways of death. See, often when we take, when we do that which is right in our own eyes, and we take things into our own hands, and we say, well, I know God doesn't want me to do this. I know God doesn't want me to go there. I know God doesn't want me to tell this lie. But I've got to do it if I'm going to make sure that it comes out right. At that point, you're going to mess everything up. You're going to make things worse. Here, Abraham ended up, and here's what happens. Exactly what he didn't want to happen is what happened. He's like, Sarah, let's lie so they don't kill me and take you away. And they end up just taking her anyway. So we need to learn to trust in the Lord. Go back to Genesis chapter 20. Keep your place in Proverbs. We're going to be there. In Genesis chapter 20, look at verse 2 again. Let me show you something else that we see. In Genesis chapter 20 and verse 2, The Bible says this, And Abraham said of Sarah his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. Now that wasn't part of the plan. That wasn't supposed to happen. But you know what? It's already happened before. You think Abraham would have learned from the episode in Egypt, right? Let's go back to Genesis 12. Let's look at it again. Notice what happens in Genesis 12 and verse 14. Genesis chapter 12 and verse 14. The Bible says this, Genesis chapter 12 and verse 14, And it came to pass that when Abraham was come into Egypt, because remember he told Sarah when they went to Egypt, he said, let's lie. Don't tell people you're my, husband, uh, you're my wife. Don't tell people I'm your husband. Tell people that we're, we're siblings. And, and they agreed upon that. When they get to verse 14, the Bible says, And it came to pass that when Abraham was coming to Egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman that she was very fair. And the princess also of Pharaoh saw her and commended her before Pharaoh. And the woman, Sarah, was taken into Pharaoh's house. So in Egypt, he lies and says, this isn't my wife. This is my sister. Pharaoh takes her into his head, into his wife. God delivers the situation. Then years later in Gerar, they do the same thing. They tell the same lie. And guess what? They get the same result. Sarah's taken away, and Gerar wants to marry her. He said, what do we learn from this? Here's what we can learn from this. When we make the same bad decisions, we get the same bad results. You understand that? I watch people beat their head against the wall doing the same thing over and over and over again. And they think, well, this time it's going to work. If it didn't work the first three times, why don't you change up? Here's a Bible word for you. Why don't you repent? Why don't you try something different? If lying and deceiving and sinning and, and doing what you've been doing messed up your marriage, messed up your children, messed up your finances, messed up, why don't you just say, hey, you know what? Maybe what I'm doing isn't working. Maybe I've got to try something different. And here, Abraham's like, Lord, I got a great idea. Let's do this again. It's like, Abraham, you already tried that. You got the same stupid results the first time. And people will literally waste their lives doing the same stupid stupid thing over and over and over again, getting the same ridiculous results. And it's just like, what are you, crazy? If you do the same thing over and over again, you're expecting a different result. You know what that means? It means you're insane. It means you need to be locked up. It's not working, Abraham. Why don't we try something new? Let's try this, Abraham. Trust the Lord. Lead not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. 
Look at verse 3. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night. So Abimelech, king of Gerar, takes Abraham's wife, Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, thou art but a dead man. That's like God in the mafia, you know. He's like, you're a dead man, <laughs> you know. He like, God shows up and he's got like a dead head of a horse in his bed or something, you know. For the woman which thou hast taken, for she is a man's wife. God's just like, I'm going to kill you. Now, here's what I want you to understand, okay. And, and notice, this is what God did before. Go, go back to Genesis chapter 12. Look at verse 17. Genesis chapter 12 and verse 17. When Pharaoh took Abraham's wife, notice what God did in Genesis 12, 17. And the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house. That was like a, 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 a foreshadow of things to come because God was going to plague Pharaoh's house again in the book of Exodus with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Now, here's what I want you to understand, okay? Was Abraham right or was Abraham wrong? I'm not, it's not a trick question. You can answer the question. Who was, was Abraham right? No. Was Abraham wrong? Yes. Was Abraham lying? Yes. Was Abraham not doing what God wanted him to do? Yes. Was the king of Gerar right or wrong? He was right. Did the king of Gerar do anything wrong? Is there anything wrong when, when he looks at a young lady who thinks, or, 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 or a beautiful lady, and he thinks she's not married, you know, he's just introduced to the brother, and he says, I'm going to marry that young lady. He, he didn't do anything wrong. But here's what I want you to understand. God sides with Abraham oversighting with the king of Gerar even when Abraham was wrong. And you know what you'll find throughout the Bible? That God always sides with his people even when they're wrong. And you know what's wrong with Christianity today? Is that they're tripping over themselves today. The average Christian in America today is tripping over themselves to try to figure out a way to side with the world versus God's people. I mean, to, you know, when this whole Orlando thing happened where I preached against the homos, you know, I had a bunch of Christians come against us, and their whole attitude and mentality was, you know, you shouldn't have said that. It was mean when you said it. It wasn't tactful, and it wasn't grateful, graceful. And here's the thing. I don't agree with any of that. I think everything I said was correct. Amen. You know, I, I, I don't regret saying anything. I, I'm glad I said it. I wish I would have said it earlier. You know, I mean, I, I think it was fine. I don't agree with that. But here's the thing. Let's say I was wrong. Let's say I, I did take it too far. Let's say I did overstep my bounds. Let's say I wasn't tactful and I wasn't graceful and I messed up and I was in the wrong. You know what? God sides with his people over the world. And yet you got a whole bunch of Christians who are like, well, Pastor, he managed. He just didn't have enough grace. So you're going to go side with a bunch of perverts. So you're going to go side with a bunch of homos. So you're going to go side with a bunch of pedophiles and a bunch of perverts and weirdos because I didn't do it exactly how you think I should have done it. You know what? I'm glad that God knows something about being loyal to people. I know that God, I'm glad that God looks at Abraham and says, Abraham, what are you doing? Abraham, we've already done this. Abraham, you're messing up. Abraham, this isn't the right thing. But you know what? If God has to choose between siding with God's people or the world, he'll side with God's people every time. And sometimes people come to me and they're like, did you hear what Donnie Romero said? Did you hear what Pastor Anderson said? Did you hear what Dave Burson said or Manly Park? Listen to me. Those guys say things that I probably wouldn't say. I'll be honest with you. But you know what? I'm going to side with them every time. 
I'm never going to side against God's man to side with the world, to side with the liberals, to side with the compromise. And today, I could just say, well, I don't think Pastor Manny should have said that. So I'm going to go side with a bunch of liberals. That's not what God would have done. In fact, it's not, that's what God didn't do. God said, I side with Abraham. Well, God, don't you know Abraham's wrong? We'll deal with that. We'll deal with Abraham. We'll make sure he gets straightened out. But if I have to choose, God says, if I have to choose between siding with Abraham or the king of Gerar, I'll side with Abraham every time. He said, if I have to choose between siding with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, or Abraham, who's acting a fool, I'll, act, I'll side with Abraham every time. Amen. You know what? As Christians, you ought to learn to side with God's people every time. Right. And even if you say, well, I don't know if this should have said that. I'm not even right. I don't even know if that was right. You know what? If it's between siding with God's people or the world, you ought to learn to side with God. You ought to learn something about being loyal. You ought to learn something about saying, you know what? I'm going to side with God's people because that's what God did. He sided with Abraham even though Abraham was wrong. And here's the thing. I don't even think I was wrong. But you know what? If I was, you still should side with me. (laughs) You say, well, that's a little. I'm just telling you that's what God would have done. That's what I've done. And you know what, if you, you know what, I don't, and here's the thing, there's people in our church that have done stupid things, got locked up, and you think I, you think I, I, I you know, just, oh, I'm not, I'm not with so-and-so anymore, because they, you know, even when they mess up, I'd much rather side with them. I'd much rather be loyal to them. I'd much rather side with God's people than to side with the world. Go, go, to, go to Psalm 105, and you got Proverbs right before Proverbs, you got the book of Psalm, Psalm 105. And verse number 13. So, yeah, I am telling you, everyone who chose not to side with us is a liberal and a compromiser, and they're wrong. And they don't have the heart of God because God sided with Abraham even when he was wrong. Everybody that came up against us would say, well, I don't think you should. I remember I was doing a radio interview with somebody. They're like, I'm against the homos too, but I just don't think you should. You know what? Then side with us anyway. You know, stand with us anyway. If you don't think we should have said it that way, just be thankful somebody said something. Somebody did something. Psalm 105, look at verse 13. Psalm 105 and verse 13 is just a cross-reference for you. This is where God uh, talked about in the book of Psalms about this event here that we're reading about in Genesis 20 and Genesis 12. Psalm 105 and verse 13, the Bible says this. When they went from one nation to another, from one kingdom to another kingdom, he suffered. The word suffered means allowed. He allowed, he suffered, no man to do them wrong. Yea, he reproved kings for their sakes. He corrected kings. He told kings, you're wrong for their sakes, even when they were wrong. Saying, touch not my anointed and do my prophets no harm. And we know that Psalm 105 is talking about the story of Abraham because later on in Genesis chapter 20, God actually calls Abraham a prophet. Genesis chapter 20. Go go back to Genesis chapter 20 look at verse 3. Let's see what else we can learn. Look at verse number 3. Genesis chapter 20 and verse number 3. The Bible says this, But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, thou art but a dead man for the woman which thou hast taken, for she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her. And he said, Lord, will thou slay also a righteous nation? Notice verse 5. Said he not unto me, she is my sister? And she, even she herself said, he is my brother. Now notice what Gerar is saying, because Gerar has a point here. He's saying, I didn't know that they were married. He said, he said to me, she's my sister. And she, even she herself, uh, said to me that he is my brother. And he says this, in the integrity of my heart and innocency of my hands, have I done this? Now here's what's interesting. Everything Gerar said there was true. He did do it in the integrity of his heart. 
He did do it in the innocency of his hands. He did sin ignorantly, unknowingly. But you know what? Even when you sin in ignorance, you're still accountable. Did you know that? Just because you didn't know it was wrong doesn't make it not wrong. And he had to deal with the consequences. And God says, you're a dead man. He said, you're a man that deserves death even though you sinned without knowing what you were doing. Go to Leviticus chapter number 4. Leviticus chapter number 4. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Leviticus chapter number 4 and verse number 27. Leviticus chapter 4 and verse 27. The Bible says this. And if any, of, and if any one of the common people, notice what it says, sin through ignorance. While he does somewhat against any of the commandments of the Lord concerning things which ought not to be done and be guilty. Look at verse 28. Or if he sin which he had sinned, uh, or, or if, he, if his sin which he had sinned come to his knowledge. Notice. When he shall bring his offering, a kid of the goats, a female without blemish, for his sin which he had sinned. God said you still have to sacrifice even when you sin through ignorance. An animal still had to die. He said there were still consequences. Even when we sin in ignorance, we're still accountable. And here King Gerar, he said, I did this in the integrity of my heart. I did this in the innocency of my hand. He said, I didn't know. And God says, I know, I know you didn't know, but you know what? You're still a dead man if you don't get it right. He said, I'm still going to close up the wombs of the woman, women in your nation if you don't get it right. Because you know what? Sin has consequences, whether you know it or not. That's why it's silly to have this attitude like, I just, I don't want to know what the Bible says, so that way it's not a sin if I don't know it. Well, here's what's stupid about that. Whether you know it's a sin or not, you're going to suffer the consequences. Amen. So it's better to just go to a church that's going to tell you, hey, thus saith the Lord God. Amen. That's going to go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and tell you, here's what God says. Here's what the Bible says. Here's what God expects. Because you're going to pay the consequences either way. So wouldn't it be better to know? Hey, look, if I'm going to play a game, I want to know what the rules are. I don't know when I'm out of bounds. I don't know when I'm going to, you know, uh, get a flag pulled or something. Go to Genesis chapter 20. Look at verse 3. But God, notice what it says, came to Abimelech in a dream. Here's, here's another great thing we could learn from this passage. Today you got these dispensationalists, you know, talking about the fact that God only revealed himself to the nation of Israel and nobody else in the Old Testament. It's all about the Israelites. Nobody else, you know, it's just, and even now they're like, it's all about Israel. Israel's the greatest thing to slice bread. You know, Israel can do no wrong. And they're like, God revealed himself to them. The revelation was to them. You know, the Gentiles were nothing. But you know, you know what's funny? The Bible says here in the book of Genesis that God revealed himself to Abimelech in a dream who was the king of the Philistines. You know that God revealed himself to the heathen in the Old Testament as well? You know that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance? I mean, I want, I want the dispensationalists to, you know, put your stick and chart away that you're trying to confuse everybody with and just tell me where Genesis chapter 20 and verse number 3 falls in your dispensational theology that says that God had nothing to do with the Gentiles in the Old Testament when God is revealing himself to an Old Testament Gentile king and letting him know who the real God is. I mean, here you got Abimelech, you know, knowing and learning about God. And you know, God reveals himself to those who have a desire to be saved. Did you know that? If someone ha honestly wants the truth, 
I believe, and I believe the Bible teaches this, that God will do everything in his power to try to get the gospel to them. Everything in his power to try to get the, the word of God to them. Let me give you some examples. Go to the book of Acts, Acts chapter number 10. Acts chapter number 10. You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John in the New Testament. Acts chapter number 10. I'm not saying God is going to go and do soul winning for us. That's not what I said. We're not Calvinists. Okay, we got, we got to go and preach the gospel. But I do believe that God will do everything he can to try to get, if someone's honestly desiring the truth, he'll do everything he can to try to get the gospel to them. I've had people, I've had people, I won't say any names because I didn't ask for permission, but I've had people in this church tell me, you guys knocked on my door five times. You know, we kept moving and you kept following us, you know. And here's the thing, that you, God knew that you were going to get saved. He wanted to make sure we didn't lose track of you. You know, God follows. God is seeking. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Acts chapter 10, look at verse 1. Notice what the Bible says. Acts chapter 10 and verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius. Remember him? This is Brother Al's favorite character in the Bible. <laughs> a centurion of the band called the Italian band. A devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming in to him and saying unto him, Cornelius, Cornelius had a desire to be saved. Cornelius was praying and asking God, you know, that he would reveal himself to him. Cornelius was not saved. He gets saved later on in the passage. But look at verse uh, number four. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God and now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon whose name is Sir Peter and he basically says go get Peter he's going to get you saved so why did God do that for Cornelius because Cornelius had a desire to be saved he said does God does God send angels now I don't believe God does that but let me show you more uh, more how God works today go to go, go to Acts chapter 16 later on in the book of Acts Acts chapter 16 and verse number 7 Today, I believe God works through the Holy Spirit. During the book of Acts, that was a time of transition. There's a lot of miracles going on. The Bible had not yet been completed. The Bible tells us that the miracles were there to confirm the fact that the men that were preaching were actually from God because they didn't have a Bible to be able to back up their words with. Acts chapter 16 and verse 7, the Bible says this, After they were come to Mysia, they assayed. The word assayed means attempted. So they attempted to go into Bithynia. They tried to go into Bithynia. Notice, but the Spirit suffered them not. But the Spirit did not allow them to. And they passing by Mysia came down to Troas, and a vision appeared in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia. Okay, that's going down towards Greek. And prayed him saying, so Paul has a dream where he sees a man who's dressed like a man from Macedonia. And the man is saying to him, he's saying, come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Now what we just read is what's commonly referred to as a Macedonian call. And here's what I want you to understand. Paul, if you, if you look at these uh, nations that he's at on the map, Paul was assaying, he was attempting, he was trying to lead his missionary endeavors into what we know as the continent of Asia. But the Holy Spirit suffered him not. 
The Holy Spirit would not allow him to go. The Holy Spirit got him banned. You know, the Holy Spirit said, you're not going there. And he gets a dream where he sees a man from Macedonia saying, come this way. And Paul goes to Macedonia, and instead of going to Asia, he goes into Europe. And history tells us, if you know anything about history, that Asia, even to this day, the nations in Asia are not receptive to the gospel. They're not Christian nations. They're nations that reject the God of the Bible. But you know what? Europe was receptive to the gospel. And Europe received the gospel. And Europe became the powerhouse of Christianity and sent missionaries all over the world. And eventually Europe gave birth to a little country named the United States of America that then that nation became the powerhouse of Christianity. And that nation sent missionaries all around the world. And you know what God does? He'll send missionaries, he'll send preachers, he'll send people and direct people towards the areas where he he knows they're the most receptive. You know, I was praying for Pastor Anderson the last several weeks as he was going through these things with South Africa and Botswana. There's people up in our Washington location that were going on this trip, and, and we're praying for them, you know. And honestly, I, I believe that one of the reasons that God maybe stopped them from being able to enter South Africa is because, you know what, the Holy Spirit just suffered them not to enter in. Because maybe just it was going to be a big waste of time. Maybe they were going to get hurt there. Maybe God was just trying to protect them. I believe that God, sometimes we try to do things, and God says, no, 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 that's not what I want. Don't go to South Africa. You can waste a bunch of time there. They're not receptive there. Just go to Botswana. You'll get a lot of people saying. That's what he did for Paul. He said, don't go to Asia. Those people aren't going to receive it. I'm not saying there's not saved people in Asia, but by and large, the Asian continent rejected the gospel. And by and large, the Europeans accepted it. And God guided that with Paul. And I believe God guides us, and God uh, sends us. And here, Abraham, now Paul wasn't doing anything wrong. Paul was trying to preach the gospel in Asia, and God just knew he was going to waste his time there. But here, Abraham and and King Gerar, he's actually going to do something he's going to regret, and God stops him. Notice what the Bible says. Go back to Genesis 20. Look at verse 4. Genesis chapter 20 and verse 4. But Abimelech had not come near her. Because remember God said to Abimelech, you're a dead man. You're touching a woman that's not your wife. She's a married woman. Notice, but Amimbalek had not come near her. And he said, Lord, will thou slay also a righteous nation? Said he not unto me, she is my sister, and she even she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart, in the innocency of my hands have I done this. And God said unto him in a dream, yea, I know that thou didst this in the integrity of thy heart, for I also withheld thee. From sinning against me, therefore suffer I thee not to touch her. So you know, sometimes when we get a stupid idea in our heads and we're, I'm gonna go down there and I'm gonna just thank God when that car won't start. <laughs> thank God when you get that flat tire. Thank God when you get that phone call. Thank God. Sometimes God stops us from doing stupid things. And sometimes it's not even sin, sometimes it's sin, but sometimes God just keeps us from places that are going to hurt us, places that are going to be receptive to us, places that things are not going to go well. And you know what? We're not Calvinists, but we do have to believe in the providence of God and the omniscience of God and the omnipotence of God, that the heavens really do rule on earth and that God holds our fate in his hands and often he works things on our behalf to help us out. Look at verse 7. Now, therefore, he says, restore the man his wife. That's Abraham. He's telling, God is telling King Gerar, give his wife back. And notice what he says, for he is a prophet. 
Now remember in Psalm 105.15, he said, Touch not mine anointed, do not my prophets no harm. Now here's what's interesting. God says, give him his wife back, because he's a prophet. Give him his wife back, because he's, he's my man. He's my guy. He's my preacher. He's a prophet. You know what we can learn from this? Our state. You say, you know, because Gerard could have said, wait a minute, the guy, that guy is your prophet? The guy that's lying about his wife? The guy that's saying he's, he's, that's his sister? That's your prophet? But you know, what, you know what I love about God? Is that our state in the flesh doesn't change our standing with God. You know, why didn't Abraham lose his salvation right here? Why didn't God say, I don't know him. <laughs> Not with me. No, you know what? God says, I'm stuck with this guy. This guy's my prophet whether I like it or not. He says, my, his state in his flesh doesn't change his standing in Christ. His standing is God. You know what? I'm always God's. I'm always his person. I'm all, we're always his people. Whether we're right or wrong, we're God's people. And he's going to do everything he can to keep us on the right way. But when we say stupid things and we do stupid things and maybe we try to do things that aren't the best for us, God says, that's my prophet. The guy lying? Yeah, the guy lying. That's mine. His standing isn't changed by his state. You know what? Even you and I, when we sin and we lie and we deceive and we do that which is wrong, our standing in Christ doesn't change. We're still God's people. Look at verse 3. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night. Remember that? Now skip down to verse 8. Therefore Abimelech rose early in the morning. And called all his servants and told all these things in their ears. And the men were sore afraid. Here's another thing we can learn from this story. That we should obey God's word as soon as we hear it. I mean, King, King Gerar has a dream. And the Bible says he rose up early in the morning and he just got it right. As soon as he was made aware of it, the first thing he did was just, let's fix this right now. You know what? You and I, as Christians, often we'll sit here and we'll listen to preaching and God will deal with us and God will deal with us and we're like Pharaoh. We'll say, take away the frogs tomorrow, God. Deal with it tomorrow, God. You know what? We need to deal with sin the moment it becomes clear in our hearts. The moment God speaks to us, the moment we realize that wasn't right, that's not what God wanted, we need to just get up that day and say, I'm going to deal with this right now. Something that's a good character of Abimelech, that he sinned through ignorance, but as soon as he was made clear to him, he gets up. Therefore, Abimelech rose in the morning, and he gets it right. And you know what? You and I ought to be the same way. Whenever sin is made clear to us, and whenever maybe we are sitting out of ignorance, but as soon as we learn it and understand it, we need to just deal with it right then. We need to just make sure we don't let that linger on. Look at verse 9. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said unto him. Now notice what Abimelech says to Abraham. What has thou done? See that word done? He said, what has thou done unto us? And what have I offended thee, that thou hast brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin, that thou hast, notice this, done deeds unto me that ought not to be done. Here's what he says to Abraham. He said, why did you do this to me? He said, what hast thou done unto me? Now notice, Pharaoh says something very similar. Go back to Genesis 12. Look at verse 18. Genesis chapter 12 and verse 18. Notice what Pharaoh says. Genesis chapter 12 and verse 18. Genesis 12, 18 says this, And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that thou hast done unto me? Now go back to Proverbs chapter number 26. Remember I told you to keep replacing Proverbs? On Proverbs chapter 26, you know what we can learn from this? Because God plagued Pharaoh's house. 
And God stopped the women from being able to give birth in the nation of Gerar. Because of Abraham's deceiving and lying. And you know what we ought to learn from this is that sin always hurts others. There's no such thing as a sin. People say, well, I'm only hurting myself. No, you're not hurting yourself. Sin always hurts others. There's always an effect on others. There's always a, a, a reaping for others. Are you there in Proverbs 26? Look at verse one. You say, well, all Abraham was doing was lying. What's the big deal? Proverbs 26 and verse 28 says this, A lying tongue hateth those that are afflicted by it. God says your tongue, when it lies, it hates those that you are afflicting. And a flattering mouth worketh ruin. See, sin always hurts others. you got to understand that. Listen, dads, you need to understand your sin will hurt your wife and your children. Your sin will hurt your grandchildren. Your sin will hurt your nieces and nephews. Listen, moms, your sin will hurt your children. If you're a grandparent, your sin will hurt your grandchildren. We need to realize when we sit there and sin and lie and mess up our own lives and say and become selfish and say, well, I'm just doing this. I'm just having a good time. I'm not hurting anybody. You're hurting everyone around you. Sin hurts others. I, I live my entire life. My wife lives her entire life with this burden over us that we, as, as a pastor and the pastor's wife of this ministry, can hurt many people with our testimony. And we live our lives trying to help our children and give them everything we can to make sure they're set up right. And sometimes people sin around them and we try to shield them from those things. And sometimes people, because they're selfish, because of their sin, they want to hurt their children and their grandchildren. And listen to me, you need to remember, you say, well, I'm just going to get into this pornography. I'm just going to get into this adultery. I'm just going to get into this alcohol. I'm just going to get into this drug. I'm not hurting anybody. I'm just having a good time. You're hurting everyone you love. Because sin hurts people. And here Abraham was saying, well, what's the big deal? We're just lying. And he, and he hurt a whole nation. And here King Gerard says, why did you do this to me? He said, what hast thou done unto us? He says, thou hast done deeds unto me that are not to be done. Because sin hurts. A lying tongue hateth those that are afflicted by it. Go back to Genesis chapter 20, look at verse 10. Genesis chapter 20, verse 10. Let's see the next thing we can learn from this passage. And Abimelech said unto Abraham, What sawest thou that thou hast done this thing? He said, what did you see that made you want to do this to us? Notice what Abraham says. And Abraham said, because I thought, Abraham says, I assumed, I thought surely the fear of God is not in this place and they will slay me for my wife's sake. He said, I assumed that you people did not love God, did not fear God, did not trust God. I assumed you were going to kill me for my wife. So I lied and I hurt you as a result of it. You know another thing we can learn? You know something I've learned over six years of dealing with people and counseling people? That assuming always gets us into trouble. When you assume, well, I think that's what they said. I think that's what they meant. I think that's what they were thinking. I think whenever you assume something that you're not sure of, you're always going to get into trouble. And you know what I've noticed? Is that when we assume things we usually interject our own thoughts and experiences into the situation. People often get involved in situations that have nothing to do with them, and they're like, well, I just know that when I, but it has nothing to do with you. But, I, but just my dad did, but this is not your dad. This is not your wife. This is not your children. 
This is not your situation. Well, I just know. No, you're assuming and you're interjecting yourself. Abraham, just because you don't fear God, just because you don't trust God, just because you have issues with God, doesn't mean King Gerar is. You understand that? He says, I thought you guys didn't fear God. No, Abraham, you're the one that doesn't fear God. You're the one that doesn't trust God. I thought you guys didn't trust God. No, it's you, Abraham, and you're interjecting your own life into theirs by assuming. So be very careful. When I just think, if you don't know the facts, if you don't know all the answers, be very careful to interject yourself into situations that you know nothing about. Because when we assume, we usually make things worse and get ourselves into trouble. Look at verse 12. And yet indeed, now here Abraham tries to justify himself. He says, and yet indeed, she is my sister. He says, she, she really is my sister. You know, they're, they're from the south. She is the daughter of my father. You know, everyone's moved to the south because California is so liberal. Okay. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. Now, here's the thing. Obviously, the closer you get to the beginning of mankind, things like this were happening. It wasn't that. It wasn't the end of the world. Okay. Adam and Eve's children, obviously, Married each other, you know, married siblings. That's just how it's going to work. And up to this point, God, the Levitical law, the Mosaic law had not been given. So God had not yet stated that you're not allowed to marry your siblings. So you know what? It's very possible that Abraham married his sister. And it was probably fine back then. You know, there's no need for that today, all right? This is a sermon that needs to be preached in the South. There's no need for that today, okay? But, but you know, but I don't, I'm not saying that was even wrong for Abraham to do that. But here's the thing. Let's say it was right. Let's say Sarah really was his sister and she became his wife. Because he said, look at verse 12. He says, and yet indeed she is my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. So he's saying she's my half-sister. And she became my wife. Here's what we can learn from this. Half-truths are still lies if they're meant to deceive. You understand that? Well, I, didn't, I, I, didn't, I just didn't tell you all the truth. Okay, well, half-truth are still lies. If the reason you're leaving something out is because you want to try to deceive, it's still a lie. Notice verse 13, And it came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father's house, that I said unto her, This is thy kindness which thou shalt show unto me at every place whither we shall come. Say of me, he is my brother. Look at verse 14. And Abimelech took sheep and oxen, and men servants and women servants, and gave them unto Abraham, and restored him, Sarah, his wife. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before thee. Dwell where it pleaseth thee. And unto Sarah he said, Now I want you to notice what Abimelech said to Sarah. He said, Behold, I have given thy brother a thousand pieces of silver. Behold, he, talking about Abraham, is to thee, talking to Sarah, a covering of the eyes. He says, Unto all that are with thee and with all other Thus she was reproved. He reproves her. And he says, now here's the thing. What's he saying to, to her? He's saying to her, to her, Abraham, your husband is blinders to you. He said, there are no other options for you, Sarah. It's just Abraham. And he's reproving her. Because he's about, he's about to marry this woman. Now, now let me go ahead and say this, okay? The king of Gerar is being a hypocrite at this point. Because later on in the passage, it's very clear that Gerar had another wife, you know? And he's basically saying, here's what he's saying. He's saying, it would have been okay for me to have two wives, but there better not be a wife with two husbands. You see what I'm saying? And Sarah, maybe she was going along with it saying, like, I'm going to teach these guys a lesson. They all want to have multiple wives. What about me having multiple husbands, you know? And, and King Gerar is like, that's a no-no. But you know what? 
what he said is true. He's just a hypocrite because everything he said should apply to her and him. And it applies to every one of us today. When you get married, that your husband, your wife becomes your blinders, there are no more options for you. Quit looking. People today be like, well, just because I order doesn't mean I can't, you know, look on the menu. No, once you order, they take the menu away. You ever notice that? Once you order, they say, okay, thanks for ordering, and they take the menu from you because you put in your order. And you know what? When you got married, you put your order in. Well, you know, I married. You didn't have to marry that one. You made your choice. But here King Girar says, he is to thee a covering of the eyes. So you know what? Quit looking. You know what? Quit thinking. You know what? Quit lusting. You know what? Quit, quit uh, 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 you know, coveting and saying, well, what would happen if I would? You know, your husband and your wife, they are a covering to your eyes. They are the blinders to your eyes. You've made your choice. You've ordered your meal. You've made your bed. Now lie in it. That's what he's telling her. And it's true. I just wish he would have applied it to himself. Because he already had a wife. He shouldn't have been interested in Sarah. He reproves her. He says, you ever heard somebody say, I have only eyes for you? Well, that's how it ought to be in every marriage. I have only eyes for you. He is to thee a covering of the eyes. Unto all that are with thee and with all others. Thus she was reproved. Look at verse 17. We'll, we'll be done. So Abraham prayed unto God. And God healed Abimelech. And his wife, you see that? He's married. And his maidservants, and they bear children. For the Lord had fast closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abram's wife. And here we find a great verse that teaches us that it is the Lord who opens and closes the womb. And this is taught all throughout Scripture. But you know what? If God hasn't blessed you with children, you, we just, you just have to trust that God knows what he's doing. And that God is in control. And he's the one that opens and closes the womb. And if he hasn't blessed you with children, then you just trust the Lord. And you just pray. And you just say, God, you're, you're in control. But you know what? It, 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 when he blesses you with children, then be thankful for that. Children are a blessing. And, and you say, well, God, God hasn't blessed me with children. Then you ought to pray to the God that opens and closes the womb. Because he's the one that has the power to make life. And he's the one that has the power. You know, I, I thank God for the five children that God has given me. You know, the one that we haven't met yet, but I'm sure she's going to be as bad as all the other ones, you know? And, uh, you know, because they're all sinners. But, uh, you know, I, th I thank God. I thank God for it. Because it's God. They're not a burden. Children aren't a burden. Our society teaches they're a burden. No, they're not a burden. They're a blessing. God gives us a gift. God opens the womb. He says they're the inheritance of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is his Reward. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father.